Thank you. All right, everybody doing good? Fantastic. It is a good day. You know, it's a, got outside and, and it feels a little more like March than February feeling like June or something. Uh, although I must admit, I did enjoy February. The weather was beautiful. Uh, if you have your Bibles, if you don't have a Bible and you would like one, uh, just raise your hand. We'll make sure someone will give you one. We're going to be bouncing around in terms of Scripture. But if you would like a, a Bible to follow along, just raise your hands and they will make sure uh, that you have one, uh, which is great. And we've been studying in Genesis. We're going to move on from there. We're going to talk about maturity. You know, what is, does it mean to be mature? What does it mean to grow up? Uh, we've been doing a study in, in, uh, on Thursday night with the men and we've talked about the different levels of growth for for a man or a male, and, and it starts out with childhood and then moves to adolescence and on to adulthood, and then we talked about the idea of being a, a mentor and patriarch, but, uh, you know, you don't want to get stuck as an adolescent. It's kind of easy to find that we don't take the responsibility or uh, follow through where we're supposed to be. We kind of get stuck in some of those levels, and that can happen to us as Christians, too. Uh, the idea is that we are to grow, that we are to mature. Once we become Christians, we're not to remain in, in that kind of infancy state. I found a, an article that just talks about maturity as a Christian. It says, what does it mean to grow up? It, it means such things as being fully developed, having marks of wisdom, not just knowledge, the self-discipline and commitment of an authentic walk with Christ seven days a week. The determination to obey God, to submit to the truth of his word at any cost. The ability to nourish myself as an individual believer in God's word. The compassion to reach out and care for other people whose needs are different from my own. The willingness to share the responsibilities of the household. All of the above with an attitude of contagious or a contagious positive spirit. Growing up, maturing, becoming what God intended for us to be. A lot of different ideas. I think a lot of people, when it comes to salvation, they feel, well, I accepted Jesus Christ, that's enough, and, and don't see a need to go any further. But it's like a, a newborn baby. We expect him to grow, don't we? We bring him home, and mom holds that little baby, and it, it's so precious, and it doesn't do anything, but eat and burp and kind of mess the diaper and sleep a little. But, but it's precious. You love it. But if it stays like that, then you're concerned. It should grow up. It should mature. That's true for our physical life. It's true for our spiritual life. It, it's kind of like, let's say you have a young man, and uh, he's in middle school, and he's about 6'10". Big kid. You know, 13 years old, like this. And his dad comes along and he said, Man, son, I, I think you ought to think about being a basketball player. You ought, to, you ought to plan to be a basketball player. I think this is a good idea. And the son says, Yeah, that, that sounds good. I'd love to be a basketball player. I think that's good. And so you take him out and he practices a little bit, and then you put him on the same court with the NBA players. And it doesn't matter how tall he is. You put him up there by uh, LeBron James. 
And you know what LeBron James does with 13-year-olds that are 6'10"? He's tall enough. He, he's tall enough to compete. But, boy, he eats his lunch. He's not there. Because it takes maturity. It takes growth. It takes understanding of the game. It, it takes a lot of things. And that's how it is in life. Uh, as Christians, we need to mature. We need to have an understanding of what God has for us and, and what God wants for us. And uh, I, I believe it's important that we understand that one of God's great desires for his children is that, yes, they're born as they're newborns. We need to be born again. It's what God told Nicodemus, or Jesus told Nicodemus. We're going to read that a little later. But uh, God doesn't expect us to stay there. He expects us to grow and to mature in, in our faith. And I think that's so important. Uh, last week we were looking at Adam and Eve and they'd eaten of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil and, and because they ate of it, the Bible says they're dead in their sin. And I think that's the reason it says we inherit that deadness and I think that's the reason a lot of people today can't understand the things of God. They are spiritually dead. If you're spiritually dead, you don't see very much. If you're physically dead, you don't see anything. Well, you really don't either when you're spiritually dead. And so there is the point where there has to be new life. And as we looked at it last week, we saw that God had this amazing, unique plan. He began to tell us about it way back in Genesis chapter 3 in the 15th verse. And he told us how Satan would be defeated by his son, Jesus Christ. And we followed the plan and we, we talked about how by faith we are to receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. But Jesus was coming. He came and he shed his blood. And we talked about the fact there is no forgiveness for sins without the shedding of blood. Uh, in the Old Testament, they would sacrifice sheep and bulls and goats and various other animals uh, before the Lord. And they would do it oftentimes as a sin offering. But the fact is the blood of an animal, the Bible tells us, does not bring about the forgiveness of our sin. It just covers it over. It's kind of like a, a young bachelor, and he has his bachelor pad, and it's all hardwood floors with a throw rug, and, and it gets a little dirty in there, and he gets the broom out, and he, or the, and he sweeps it up, and he, and he puts it under the rug. You know, that works for a time or so, and then a rug begins to get this mound. It sounds like where I lived when I was in the service with a couple other guys, and, and, it, and it begins to get dirty, and the dust comes up through it, and you know it's there. That's kind of how the, the blood of the animals in the Old Testament did. They covered it over. But it was only the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ that removed it. And it's like when we have a stain, we have to have the right detergent or whatever it is to take it off and remove it. And that's the same thing with our sin. Jesus said it was by our sins that we have been made, or his, uh, by his blood we have been made whole and our sins have been removed and so the question comes in, what do I need to do to be a Christian? What is, what is important to me? Because on one side, there's what God does. On the other side, there's what man does. Don't forget, they're both necessary. Without both of them, there's no salvation. And so over here, God, by his grace, has provided forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ. But we, we by faith, receive that. Back in John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, But as many as received him, 
To them he gave the right to become the children of God, even those who believe in his name. There's believing and receiving. It's what I do. It's what's necessary if I want to have that relationship with God. Back in the book of Romans, in the 10th chapter, uh, 11th, verses 9 and 10, it says that if you confess with your mouth, there is this this acknowledgement with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. You, you see him in the deity of who he is, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. It, it isn't so much, I don't think, that we have to always verbalize it, but certainly we have to acknowledge our salvation. We have to be willing to accept what God's done for us. Back in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, it's, it's a verse that comes out of uh, God speaking about the church of Laodicea. It was what he called lukewarm. <laughs> Wanted to spit it out of his mouth. He says, I wish you were either hot or cold. I wish you were hot water, or I wish you were really cold water. Cold water is refreshing. Hot water heals, but lukewarm water doesn't taste good, and it doesn't heal. It doesn't do anything good much. He says, you're like this lukewarm water. I'd spew you out of my mouth. And then Jesus said to the people of this church, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I'm going to come into him. I'm going to dine with him and he with me. We're going to have a relationship, but I want you to get something here. God never pushes down the door. You watch a cop show and they have that battering ram and they smash the door down. God doesn't do that. Didn't come in if you don't open it. If you don't ask him in. So let's capsulate what we looked at. The, the major theme or a major theme in the Bible is just God buying man back. It's, it's redemption, a redemption of humanity. Man had sinned and in so doing he had alienated himself from God and, and <laughs> severed the relationship with God which we so desperately need. Every one of us needs it. In order to redeem man, God paid the price. That's where it is. It's, it's as if you go into a courtroom. Let's say a man, young man comes into the courtroom. He's kind of disheveled. He doesn't look the best. He's been picked up because maybe speeding. Uh, problem in society. Alcohol, drugs, I, I don't know. But let's say he comes in before the the judge, the judge is sitting up on the bench and he looks down at the young man and immediately he recognizes him. He hasn't seen him for a while, but he's his son. And the penalty, he, the, the, the charge is brought against his son and he comes out as guilty. And the judge rules and he says you must pay this price it'll be a thousand dollars and he knows the young man doesn't have it he knows the young man has been living a life where he doesn't have much at all and the judge says a thousand dollars no way that the young man can buy it can do it and then all of a sudden the judge stands up from the bench and he walks around 
and he pulls out his debit card and puts it on the table and said, here's the payment. I'll pay it for my son. That's what Jesus did. That's what God did. He looked at us. He saw us in our misery. He understood where we were. And he sent his son down to die for us. Because the charge was death. The wages of sin is death. Somebody had to pay it, but it had to be the perfect sacrifice. And he sent his son. And so we by faith come. He is our substitute. My personal substitute. He went to the cross for me. He went to the cross for you. And we come by faith and receive him as our Lord and Savior. But what comes after that? What now? How how is that to impact our lives? I made a mention earlier that for a lot of people, they just feel, well, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. That's enough. I don't need anything more. I'm okay. But I got to tell you something, folks. God expects more than that from us. He wants more than that from us. He says we are spiritually alive now. We were dead, but we're spiritually alive. That's kind of the opposite of how things normally work, isn't it? Usually if you're dead, you're dead. But if you're alive, you die. In this case, you're dead and you become alive because that's what God does for us. He changes it. But now we are spiritually alive. We've received Jesus Christ. We're no longer spiritually dead. By faith, we've received Jesus. I want to go back to Ephesians and, and read to you Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. It, it really deals with this issue. It says, uh, Paul's writing to the Ephesian believers. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Uh, you, didn't, you didn't have any opportunity to change the situation at all. It says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh. We were all there, he says, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, oh, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Then it says, by grace, you've been saved through faith. It's not what we do, it's what God does for us. If you have your Bibles, turn back to John, John chapter 3. We're going to look at the story of a man. He was a a religious leader in Jerusalem. He was highly thought of. Uh, People respected him. He was a teacher. His name was Nicodemus, and he couldn't figure Jesus out. He says, we know that you've got to be from God because nobody else could do the things you do if they weren't from God. Listen to what it says. Verse 7, verses of chapter 3 of John, it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, and this man came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, teacher, We know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I think it's interesting how uh, 
Jesus responded to Nicodemus. He didn't say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm from God. You've seen the signs. You've seen what I do. These are good proofs, aren't they? No, he looked at Nicodemus, and he simply said, Nick, used to be Nick at night. Nick, unless a person is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. Are you there, Nicodemus? Do you really understand that, Nicodemus? Let's go on in this passage. Nicodemus said to him, well, how can a man be born when he's old? Does it, it doesn't work that way, Jesus. Don't you understand? I can't be born. My mother can no longer carry me in her womb. He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, and I think the, the passage gives us the idea of what that means. He's born of water and the spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh, and I relate that back to the water, to birth, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. That was a term that they used a lot, uh, I believe, 70s and 80s. It was a pretty common term. Jesus people had come out, and they talked a lot about being born again. And it's, it's an interesting term because it, it's a, uh, it repeats itself. If you're born again, you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, you've been born again. You don't have to say you're a born-again Christian because either one of them defines who you are. But here he was, and he was talking to Nicodemus, and he doesn't say you have to be a born-again Christian because Christ hadn't even gone to the cross yet, but he did say, Nicodemus, you want to have eternal life? You've got to be changed. You've got to be reborn. You've got to be <laughs> remade. It's interesting, when we talk about the rebirth, it's not a matter of taking the old and tweaking it a little bit. You buy an old house, you remodel it, you make it nice, but it's still the old house. You buy an old car and you work on it, you still have the old car. You've remodeled it, you've refurbished it. But here it says, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone was in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away, all things become new. Our problem is we're made new, but we still try to hold on to the old and next week, we're going to talk about these two natures that we have, the old nature and the new nature. You know the problem with them? Man, they're always fighting with each other. And do you know the one that wins? The one that you feed the most. The one that you focus on the most. And so as Christians, even though we've been reborn, even though we have a new nature, we still struggle with that because we hang on to that old so often. We're not the same person anymore. In Ephesians chapter 4 makes a statement that I think is important here. Ephesians chapter 4 in the, uh, we'll go up to the 23rd verse. Let me take you to the 22nd verse. It says that in reference to your former manner of life, the way you used to live, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of the flesh. And so it's the idea when you lay it aside, it's like you take off your coat 
and you lay it down. You don't carry it with you anymore. You've let it go. It's not the thing. And then listen to what it says. I'll use the same quote, though it doesn't work out that way. But uh, it says, and 22, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And here it is, put on the new self, just like that new code, which is in the likeness of God has been created in the righteousness and holiness and truth. So here is a new self, which in the likeness of God, we were created in the likeness of God. It's been created in righteousness and holiness and truth. And there is a change in who you are. So basically what I want you to get, one of the things I want you to get this morning is that we have been born again. You're not the same person you were before you received Jesus Christ. There is a transformation. It's amazing. I'll talk to people, and they'll say, man, I changed. There's a difference in who I am. There's a difference in what's important to me and the things that I like and don't like. And So that's amazing. But what now? You're reborn. You, you are a newborn. You've received Jesus Christ. What now? Well, we all begin as, as spiritual babes. Uh, don't just be because th- you think that because you received Jesus Christ, you've arrived. I think too often we do that with uh, people that are in, in show business or in sports or whatever. We, we kind of give them the idea that you've arrived and we make them speakers and we send them out on the circuit and we want them to be sharing about Jesus Christ with others. And yet what the Bible says is that when we receive Jesus Christ, we're back here as a newborn talked about it a minute ago. We, we haven't grown yet. And, and we've got to grow and we've got to mature. Some people are going to grow and mature at different rates and different levels, but we've got to grow and we've got to mature. Back in First Peter, uh, in chapter 2, verses one, 1 through 3, it says, Therefore, putting aside all malice and deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and slander, here it is, like a newborn baby. Long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Oh, if you have tasted the kindness of God. So if you're a Christian, that should be a desire for you, that you want to take in the word of God. You want to understand it. You want to know how it relates to you. But we don't remain babies. You don't stay an infant. Uh, I have a two-year-old granddaughter. Not quite two yet. She will be very soon. And uh, when she started out, she liked milk. That was it. She didn't want anything else. She got a little older, and she still didn't like a lot of the other stuff we gave her, make faces. But today she eats solid food because we mature, we grow. And the same thing is true for us spiritually. Uh, We begin to take in heavier stuff to eat. Uh, Back in Hebrews, I want to go to the book of Hebrews in the sixth chapter in the first verse. Hebrews 6.1, it says, therefore, laying aside the elementary teaching, those those things you should have already learned and, and, and gone past, elementary teaching about Christ, let us press on to maturity. I want you to mature. 
not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of the faith towards God. And so there needs to be a change. In fact, I believe God commands it. I don't think it's an option. I think God wants us to grow and he wants us to mature in our faith. And, and that should be something we do. Uh, the problem is we let things get in the way. And they pull us aside from God. We have all kinds of things that tend to distract us. Tendencies to chase after things that are not of God. Temptations that come into our lives. How many of you know the story of Pinocchio? I got up this morning thinking about Pinocchio. I thought, you know, you see that ad where his nose grows. There's, there's other things about Pinocchio besides his nose that grows. He, he was going to be a real boy. You know, Geppetto created this little puppet. And uh, then he received life, but he was still a puppet. And he was to go to school, but he ran into some other boys that were out doing all the wrong things. And he thought, wow, this looks like fun. I want to go with them. I'll go with them. And he went with them, and it drew him away from where he was supposed to be. It drew him away from home. It drew him away to where he was doing things that weren't right. And do you remember what happened to Pinocchio? His ears began to grow. And his tail grew, and he went, hee-haw. He became a donkey. And it was only as he got back to Geppetto it changed. But you see, he got caught up chasing after the things that this world that others said, if you just do this, you're going to have fun. And he was finally captured and taken away, and, he, and if you just follow our lead, you're going to have a great time. And I guess, guess what? It was destructive for Pinocchio. I want to give you four things this morning that are evidences of our spiritual growth. The first one is found, you know, because I think a lot of people ask, am I growing spiritually or aren't I growing spiritually? And I hope I am. Let me just say, you know, just because you're older doesn't mean you've grown spiritually. I remember in my last church, there was a, a man, and we were choosing deacons, and a uh, neat guy. I, I really liked him. He was a, a friend. I liked him. But somebody said, oh, look at him, and he had been in church a short time. He's older. He must be mature. He would be a good deacon. Guess what? I'd talked to him, and I knew some things about where he was, and he was the last person. But we have this idea. We relate maturity to age, and it isn't always true whether as a human being or spiritually. But the first thing is that my spiritual knowledge will increase. I will have more of a love for the Bible and the things of the Word of God. If you go back to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, uh, we see that picture, 2 Peter 3, 18. And it says, um, but grow. Here it is, the command. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We will grow in our knowledge of him. How do we do that? By feasting on the word to begin with. If you never want to be in the word, you never want to hear the word preached, you're not excited about going someplace where people are going to teach you or sitting down in a Bible study with others, chances are you're not growing. You may have stagnated. We need to be in the word. One of the evidences of spiritual maturity or growing is to have a desire to be in the Word. The second one has to do with uh, 
delight for spiritual things. Uh, back in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3. Verses uh, 7 and 8. In Philippians 3, verse 7 and 8, it says, But whatever things were gained to me, this is what Paul's saying, these things that I really thought were great, these things were important to me, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I suffered the loss of all things, and I count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. I think it was the idea with Paul that when he looked back on his past life and he had done so much that people looked at and said, wow, that's great. You were a Pharisee. You were trained in the best school. You had money. You had everything that you could want. You were persecuting the church. Paul said, I look back on those things, and he says, I count them as loss. For the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ. I believe that there should be a delight in spiritual things. There should be a love for spiritual things. It's true in our lives as we're growing. Our faith increases. I believe this is the third thing that we see in terms of things that will demonstrate our spiritual growth. But our faith increases. You go back to Hebrews 11. It's the great passage, the great faith passage but when my faith increases, it, it changes how I deal with, especially the trials in life. I've got things that cause me to be anxious and uptight, and, and, and I have trouble dealing with them. And a lot of times, that's simply because we aren't putting them in God's hands. Cast your cares on me, he says, because I care for you. Be anxious for nothing. In prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto me. And he says, my peace will be with you. As a result of faith, it's, it's a growing faith. It's the kind of faith that, that God wants us to have. We go back to this passage of Hebrews 11, and it says in the first verse, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. Do you know what it's saying there? God will do what he says he'll do. God fulfills his promises. God carries out what he promised would take place. And so we begin to see the importance of, of trusting God. It goes on down to verse 6 and it says, without faith. If you don't have this faith, it's impossible to please him, that is God, for he who comes to God must believe, number one, that he is, and number two, that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. When you come to God, do you believe that God will meet your needs? Do you have that peace? Do you have that contentment? Because otherwise, we struggle with issues. We really do. I, I think that's the hardest thing for people is to be at peace in life, and especially today. I, coronavirus is out there. We hear about it. Uh, there's all kinds of things being done to deal with how are we going to deal with it if it comes to the United States or when it comes to a, a greater degree than what it already is. What are they going to do for this wheel, worldwide pandemic uh, starting in China and then on into Europe? And 
uh, different nations, Korea. What are we going to do? And, and people are anxious about it. And I hear the news, and there's that anxiety there. And, and I think we have to be wise. I, need to, I think we need to determine. We don't just close our eyes and put our heads in the sand. I think we need to be wise in how we deal with it as humans. But then when we do what we can as Christians, we look back and say, but my God is sovereign. And we don't have to go around all anxious and uptight because we have a God who's in control of all things. And that's where our faith comes in. That... We look at things going on today and we put our faith in God. And we put our faith that God's going to have people that can deal with the issues. Galatians 2.20 it says, uh, I have been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. In the Son of God. I live by faith. There's a fourth one that we have, and this is the last one I have that it talks about how we can see that we've been changed. It's found in the book of Galatians in the fifth chapter. Galatians chapter 5. And I, I want to read from the 16th through the 26th verse. But let me just say, when we are maturing, Spiritually, it changes our character. It changes how we relate to life. It changes who we are. This passage demonstrates that very well. Beginning in the 16th verse, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. They got the flesh and the Spirit there, for the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. They're in opposition to one another so that you may not do the very things that you please. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, part of our culture, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. It doesn't mean you've got a little idol sitting up there. It's the idea that you have something in your life that's more important than God. Sorcery comes from the term, Greek term, pharmakeia, which has to do with pharmacy. may have to do somehow with drugs there. Enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger. Should not be in the family, should not be in the church. Disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you. Now, this is it of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things, they are embedded in their lives, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those things are more important than God. And then he says, here's what should be true of you. The fruit of the Spirit is love, love. If you care for others as much or more than you care for yourself, Love, joy. Joy is more than happiness. Happiness has to do with our surrounding circumstances, what's going on in life, but joy is something deeply embedded in us because of our relationship with God. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, 
self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified or have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, then let us walk by the Spirit. <laughs> let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. What shows whether we're maturing or not? I, um, I wanted to read a good biography, good Christian biography, maybe somebody in the 1800s, 1900s. So I went online to find one, and I came up with Steve McQueen. And uh, biography was written by Greg Laurie. Steve McQueen had apparently received Lord in uh, last months before he died. Uh, he hadn't been diagnosed with cancer yet, but made a commitment to Jesus Christ. And so Laurie, hearing about that, he said, you look at his biographies, you see very little about that in any of them. And he said... Uh, I wanted to study his life, so he began to go through it. And it's been very interesting looking at it. But Laurie and McQueen both had very similar childhoods. They were both born into a family where dad wasn't around. Uh, moms were alcoholics. Uh, prom promiscuity was the norm. Um, Laurie talks about sitting in the bar waiting for mom to leave. He talks about being at home going to bed probably when he was six or seven, five, six, seven, and hearing mom come in with some man he'd never seen or met before, and they'd been out drinking, they were laughing, and then they got angry, and then other things happened, and waking up in the morning and them laying on the floor in the living room, and he would try to cover their various situations of undress. Little boy grew up with that. He grew up unloved. And... Uh, when he got into his teens and 20s, he, his life definitely did not demonstrate, this is Greg Laurie, uh, a life that was acceptable in public and society. He was lost, drugs, women, alcohol, until he met Jesus Christ, and God changed his life. He is one of the, the most dynamic pastors we have in America today. But it's because God changes us and the fruit of the Spirit is evidence there. McQueen wasn't so fortunate. He waited till later in life, and you read the things that are going on, and man, he struggled in life. He struggled with who he was. He, very famous. He became a great actor, uh, desired for films. But here was a guy that didn't know Jesus, and it was evidenced in his life, his relationships, until the very end, before he died. I haven't gotten that far yet. I'm looking to get there. But it just, as, as I looked at Greg Glory's life, it, it depicted this person who has matured in his spiritual walk. He came from an infant without knowing anything to the maturity he has today, the spiritual knowledge the delight in the things of God, the personal faith that has grown, trusting God in so many areas. Fruit of the Spirit, a changed life. God wants us to be transformed. He really does. And it's not enough just to, to say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. God wants us to grow. He wants us to mature. 
And that's something we should all desire to do. And so I encourage you to go home and look at those four things and say, where do I fit? And how am I in relationship to God right now? And, and how I am, am I in relationship to the Word of God and spending time with God in prayer? And how am I in relationship to other believers and those who aren't believers? We're going to look a little more in terms of next week how uh, the means by which we become mature and uh, understand that a little bit better. But I want you to go home today and just thank God that you're, you're new. You were made over. You have a new life. You have been transformed. Uh, when you receive Jesus Christ, man, all the difference in the world. But it doesn't mean we stay there. It means that, okay, Lord, where do you want me to go from here? Am I moving the way I need to go? Am I putting myself in a position where I can grow? Am I in a Bible study? Am I reading the Word of God? Am I spending time listening in, in, on Sunday mornings or listening to some of the podcasts and different things of, of very good speakers? And God makes a difference in our life. I think you're definitely going to see that as reality. Uh, let's, let's bow in prayer. Father, I come before you right now, and I just, uh, you know, I'm so thankful that uh, I'm alive. That's what the Bible says. When we receive you, we're alive. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We had no hope. There was no way we could change our circumstance. But you, Father, made the way for us. You had a plan from the very beginning, and you sent Jesus Christ, not so that we would just sweep our sins under the rug, but, Father, so that they'd be taken away permanently. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what it says in Romans 8. And so we just praise you for that, that we are not under, if we know you, condemnation. If there's someone here this morning that does not know you, Father, I pray that before they leave this place, they would make that decision to follow you as Savior and Lord. It makes all the difference in their life. It gives hope. It gives purpose. It gives a reason for living. It transforms us. Thank you, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.